You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. Two back-to-back episodes for you now from the 1970s. This was a series that ran on TV and it was called This Is Your Bible. And each episode dealt with a different subject. Today, we're giving you two episodes in one. The first is faith, healing and spirit gifts, and our presenters discuss that subject. And then the second one is young people's relationships, particularly relevant in this day and age where many youngsters are disillusioned with life in general and don't really know how to live their lives to complete fulfilment. Let's see what the presenters have to say about this Bible-based subject. Today in the Christian world we find a number of groups within almost all the churches of Christianity are saying that the Holy Spirit gifts are available today. There's actually a many charismatic groups around today who hold meetings in which there are healing sessions. It's claimed that these are gifts of healing, sessions in which there are many of the community who supposedly speak with tongues and do other miraculous works. Well, of course, many traditional Christians have questioned whether this is really the Holy Spirit gifts in action or whether it might be some other explanation for this phenomena which seems to be so ubiquitous around the Christian churches today. Well, in our program today called This Is Your Bible, we'd like to examine this, this question. My name is Peter Pickering and we welcome you again to another program in this series. In looking at the question of spirit gifts, today we have with us Frank Abel who is going to help us in our search into this, this question. Frank, thanks for joining us today. Okay. Now Frank, in looking at this question first up, what is the phenomena today which is really claimed to be spirit gift uh, in action? Like for instance the gifts of healing and the speaking in tongues. Is this actually what was uh, demonstrated in the apostolic age or is this some other phenomena in operation? Peter, I only wish that what we were seeing today was what was demonstrated in the Acts of the Apostles. I mean, just think of the wonderful time we would have when everybody could be healed. But by the fact that everybody isn't healed, and by other tests that you can look at, by looking at what we see today compared to Acts chapter 2, I would say no. In no way is what we are seeing today what was going on in the first century. Right, I suppose one of the things we do see, or or we are told of in the charismatic movement today with the gift of the Holy Spirit is the claim that there are certain kinds of uh, healings available. For instance, uh, some people have claimed that they've had cancers healed by the laying on of hands. Others have gone up to the pastor officiating at the meeting with one leg shorter than the other and then hopped uh, hopped up to the platform and then when they've uh, had the pastor lay his hands on them, they walk back very ordinarily to, to their seats again. So these are claimed healings. What's happening, Frank? Well, what's happening, uh, I think, Peter, is, is uh, probably the worst thing that could happen. In an age when people really need the Christian message, we have people who are, I guess the only way you could say it is grandstanding in front of the millions of people today who are looking for something better than what they've got and what they're finding out by the exposures that have come recently to our attention on uh, primetime TV 
or that uh, this is just a mockery, this is just acting out, play acting. Mm. But when the Lord was in a house talking to certain people and the, the roof started breaking up and they let down a man who was obviously crippled and that man walked out taking his bed, that's mm. totally different than what we're seeing today. Mm. And by all the other standards that we can see in the Gospel records and Acts, there is no comparison, Peter, between these mm. two things. Yes, right. So th there's a degree of charlatanism involved in this thing. I certainly believe yes. there is, yes. yes. And therefore the grandstanding is really uh, getting others to play-act the situation, which is really not. Yes. There. And I guess this hasn't really helped a lot, uh, too, with some of the, uh, the charismatic uh, television audiences that have been really ensnared into some of the charlatans who've really received a lot of publicity, of course, when the hoaxes and the uh, financial dealings have been revealed. Yeah. And I guess it's made uh, a very bad name for the Christian religion in that respect. Well, it has, and this is a very sad case because uh, Christianity has got exactly what this world needs. It's mm. got the great hope of the coming of Jesus Christ. Mm. Uh, the Lord has said that uh, where two or three are gathered together, I'm there with them. There, there's a lot of comforts presently for people who are serious about this book. But to act out, and uh, you know some of the experiences you hear of people who have uh, come newly to a, a Christian body and have wondered whether or not it was possible for them to obtain these spirit gifts, and then someone takes a hold of their chin and says, "Oh, you're speaking in, in tongues," mm. Mm. and for that to to go off is what was happening in Acts chapter two. There's there's yes. no comparison, Peter. Right, right. Well, Frank, let's home in our attention on perhaps one of the most. Um, I guess ubiquitous, widespread uh, kind of uh, claims in regard to the Holy Spirit gifts, and that is the speaking of tongues. Yeah. Now, this has been interpreted variously as just gibberish. Uh, there have been some claims that it's foreign languages, but probably the most dominant claim by the Charismatics has been that these are just tongues that God uses um, to convey His Spirit in some form to His servants, and therefore they don't have to be known tongues or languages. Now, can we just home in on what the Scripture said about speaking in tongues? For instance, you mentioned the Acts chapter 2 there, where the speaking in tongues was, was introduced. Why was this phenomena uh, introduced at this time? Why was it necessary to speak in tongues, for instance? And what, was the, what were the tongues that they were speaking in? Were they languages? Were they de definitive foreign languages, or were they some other kind of uh, language? Well, that's the, sure, that's the yeah. proof of the pudding here, is whether or not there is any comparison. And when we look at the standard for comparison in Acts chapter 2, which everyone should, like before you, people get involved in a church uh, which may be charismatic, which may be evangelical, and, and uh, going in this orientation, it would be a good idea to do a little reading of the Bible first to find out what it was like. Mm. And Acts chapter 2 tells us specifically that when the Spirit gifts, this, this in particular, the speaking in tongues, was first manifest, the people said, this is, I'm quoting from Acts chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. It says, They were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? How hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and it goes on through people, look like almost all over the Roman world at this time. They'd come there, and of course they had various dialects and various languages, but when they came to Jerusalem, they were now able to hear the gospel message in their own native tongue. Remarkable! Just think of the impression it would have made. Uh, because it was obviously that these people hadn't learned, they were Galileans, and yet they could speak as if they were learned, very learned people. That was the, the, the miracle 
which was going to support now the launching of the Christian movement far beyond the borders of Palestine. So the purpose of the speaking in tongues was really like an instantaneous translational facility to carry that gospel into another language. Yes, yes. So those tongues were actually uh, dialects of, of languages at that time? Yeah. What sort of languages would this have included, Frank, at that time? Well, <coughs> certainly uh, we know that there would have been Hebrew, Aramaic, uh, Greek would have been the probably the, dominant the language, the predominant language Latin, in, yes. in that yeah, land. Right. And then, of course, Latin. Yeah. And uh, looking at where these people came from, I would suppose that there would be a lot of dialects uh, and possibly small language groups mm -hmm. that would have been, uh, obviously, these are where the Jews were. These people were Jews that were coming back for the feasts that were in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. But I, I suspect that they would have been a lot of mixtures of those languages, mm -hmm. uh, subtle little differences. Right. Uh, I mean, even... Uh, in English today, depending on where you come from, it's a little hard to understand all the words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. But, I mean, these countries, uh, what countries were included, like at this, this feast in Jerusalem? You, you had people from uh, Parthia, from Greece, from a lot of different nations. Yeah, it, it says uh, Mesopotamia, which is, of course, your mm. Iran-Iraq area today. It goes uh, through Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, Libya, all North Africa, possibly going right over as far as Spain and up, and up into Europe. So uh, there would have been a very great broad diversity of languages yes. involved in Yes. And herein was the miraculous gift itself. Yes. Now, how does that compare, for instance, with the, the claim of today in, in languages? Well, Peter, the interesting thing about this is, like, our topic is the spirit gifts. Yeah. The language, the being able to speak in tongues is mm. considered to be the lowest of the level mm. of people who had the spirit gifts. It's, it's the most difficult to test because if a person is claiming to be speaking in some language, whether it be something that uh, another a person somewhere can understand or whether it's a, a language that only angels can understand, no one knows because they can't understand him. Mm. Of course, the, the whole idea of the Apostle Paul was that he had rather speak five words with understanding than, uh, than go on for <laughs> all these <laughs> other words tongue, yeah. in unknown tongues. So yes. what people yeah. are doing today is almost taking uh, advantage of something that cannot really distinctly be proven to be mm. genuine or otherwise. Mm. Isn't it say that this uh, phenomena, which I think is called glossalia, yes. basically by the community, that this is also manifested and can be demonstrated by people who are not Christian and yes. people in like some of the islands? Yes. Um, so it's not a demonstration that the Spirit of God in the truth of God's Word is available to the person. That's so true. Is it? it's, uh, that's true. And, and it's that, something else. That's where I think we have to rely very largely on the Bible as to you know why the Spirit gifts were given, were given originally, yes, and right. if they were given for those reasons, uh, why should we think that if there were any Spirit gifts in evidence today, they'd be for any different reasons sure, than initially? Sure. Okay, now a lot of folk who've studied this uh, question of the Holy Spirit gifts have concluded that these gifts were withdrawn uh, in the apostolic age. Mm -hmm. What evidence do we have for that? Well, Peter, I think we have a very good evidence. It's interesting how much of the evidence for this comes right out of Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is where they were introduced. Acts chapter 2 tells us very clearly that when these people first heard these tongues, they were languages. They were mm -hmm. clearly languages which people were speaking in those days. It's interesting that when Peter answered these people, who in some cases thought they were filled with new wine, who of course couldn't mm -hmm. understand the languages, and Peter told them this is not that, what's happening here is what was prophesied by the prophet Joel, and he goes on to say, 
very clearly, he says, the promise is unto you, the people that were listening to him, to your children, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Hmm. Well, the, the key here is to recognize that this expression of far off is picked up in other parts of the New Testament to speak of the Gentiles. The Gentile believers. So it would seem that it was clearly promised to the generation that was then able to see and witness what was happening to their children and to the Gentiles that may be involved. So we could say maybe at the most two generations. Hmm. Right. Right. So really it was intended for a transitional period uh, while the gospel got underway in a very yes. dramatic and instantaneous fashion right around the Mediterranean world yes at that time or the Roman world okay what other scriptures do we have that uh, might indicate that those gifts were in fact there for a a temporary period any other scriptural references? Oh, yes there, there, there are because mm. when even in the first century Peter pe people mm. had difficulty with the spirit gifts right and hence the Apostle Paul in writing to Corinth he devoted uh, a considerable number of verses, mm. as we would see it today, mm. dealing with the problem. And it's interesting right. how he illustrated uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I think would be one case, mm. um, probably chapter 14 as well, that the Spirit was given for a purpose. It, uh, it was given, as it says, as a, a diversity where not only the, the speaking in tongues, but apostles and prophets and teachers and miracles and gifts of healings. And these things were given to establish the ecclesia. But it, it, wasn't, it wasn't the end. It was an object to an end. So he goes on to say in the last verse of 1 Corinthians 12, but covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. And then, of course, he develops the whole theme of love or as uh, to distinguish it from the, that word in its multitude of uses, the mm. agape mm. love that we find in the scriptures. And he talks about it being in part, and he talks about that which is perfect is come, almost to illustrate to the Corinthians that these things were not the end. They, they were not the most important part of their assembling together, but they were to achieve something, and apart from achieving that, they could be misused. Mm. And that was, uh, I think, a very important thing for the Corinthians. Right. Then if you go over to uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he likewise say, says that he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now what does that mean? People could say, well, we're not there yet. Yeah, right. Well, in a sense, every generation's going <laughs> to wrestle with this. But when you think of what was going on, these spirit gifts were working to develop what we now have as the New Testament. They didn't have the New Testament in those times. And it's interesting how the Lord could also see that in the things that he uh, talked to people about in the ministry, in his ministry, that he also could understand there would be a gospel written that would record these things. And so I see the work of the Holy Spirit gifts was to consolidate what was now developing out of Jerusalem, and that was the work of the apostles to take the gospel message to the world, not just to Jews now, but to Gentiles too, so that people might have the opportunity to, to be part of the great hope that it that shares, that we share now with this. 
Right. So we can see that it was there for a period of time until they came into the fullness of the truth at that time. Yep. Uh, doesn't it go on to say that they the henceforth not tossed around by, uh, by every wind of doctrine? So yes. the objective was to bring them to uh, a mature understanding. Yes. And at which time there would also be the completion of the Holy Scriptures, that is, of the New Testament. And thereafter, the gifts would not be essential. That, that's a very, very important aspect of it. Because, you see, we're faced with uh, the claim of people that would say to us, uh, you don't have mm. the spirit gifts? Mm. Then obviously you're not a genuine Christian. Mm. Now when people say that to you, you start to think, well, am I missing something? <laughs> yeah, right. and, and, of course, uh, some yeah. people would do everything they could to, to try to make you feel that you do have the spirit gifts. But what you're mentioning in Ephesians chapter 4 is a very important aspect of the Spirit, which I'd like to, to go on from and just to mm. show that w what the point you're saying there is is a very valid point for people today. Like if you're wondering uh, whether or not you have the Spirit or whether people who claim to have the Spirit really do genuinely have the Spirit, then look at what this verse says. That these Spirit gifts in total were to be given such that people would not be tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. So it implies that what the spirit gifts were doing were to consolidate an understanding so that you could, you could immediately determine whether a person's claim to the spirit gifts was genuine or otherwise. Example, if you go over to First um, John chapter 4, which I find a very helpful passage for us today, is verse 1, Believe not every spirit. Try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. And it goes right on to say, Peter, Hereby you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. So the determining way of, of understanding in our age as to whether or not a person's claim to the spirit gifts is genuine is what do they teach. Mm. And of course, if they don't teach according to this test, they tell right away mm. the claim is not genuine. Right. So it's very helpful. Right. True. So false claims would be made. And we were warned about false claims yes. too, weren't we, by Christ, I think, yes. in Matthew. And having been warned about it, we have to test what the actual evidence is yes. and whether it agrees with the truth of God's word. Yes. Well, so, I mean, it, it, it gets messy otherwise. Hmm. I mean, you get people who say, well, you know, the, the test really of Christianity is whether or not you'll handle a rattlesnake. Yeah, right. Because yeah. it does say that uh, if you drink any deadly thing, it won't hurt you. Yeah. And, and suggesting that if a snake bit you, you have the spirit gifts, you're protected. Hmm. So, you know, some people have gone that far as to say, well, you should be able to handle a, a deadly snake as proof that you have faith. And to, the to their detriment, the experiment was tried. Yes. A number of people that died oh. through drinking hemlock <laughs> and getting bitten by rattlesnakes was quite a lot. <laughs> so it, it I, I come off so think well. there's <laughs> got to be a better way than that. <laughs> right. But when, when you think of what the Spirit has done for us, and in, in it is most effective to look back and to see now, reading the Bible through, that the claim of the Bible must have been true to account for the Bible. Hmm. So the spirit gifts that were given in guiding people into the writing of the New Testament were not different, essentially, from the spirit that was guiding all of the writers of the Bible, so that we see a consistent Bible. And we don't see that people who were 
writing under uh, under Greek civilization were any different than people that were writing under Egyptian domination, if if you like. I mean, that the one spirit, God's spirit, was guiding them all. So so we see this consistency in teaching, which unfortunately today we don't see. So you have uh, you know one large Christian body saying uh, we have the spirit and here's the evidence and they they claim the miracles that have been done in their camp and then you have a, an opposing religion teaching quite differently but claiming to be Christian who says well here's our evidence that we have the spirit gifts mm. now that couldn't be true mm. it couldn't be true in the light that the spirit as it's revealed to us in the Bible could only give us one set of teaching it does that's that's one of the great yes. hallmarks of the Bible as being true is one spirit, one philosophy, one teaching, right. cover to cover. Right. Okay. Frank, coming back then to look at some of the other claims um, that are made today, for instance, I have asked the question, well, the Holy Spirit gifts were available in the New Testament times to raise the dead. And we have evidence of that, particularly in the Scriptures. Now, no such evidence of that exists today. Now, it is claimed that this is because um, uh, people aren't faithful enough, uh, you know, to be given this gift. Now, does this mean that the that the person who is about to raise somebody who's dead has got to be faithful enough to raise the person who's dead? Or does it mean the person who's now dead has got to have the faith? I mean, where do we start in this direction? How do you show faith when you're dead? So it comes back really to saying, well, where is the, the evidence that there is any resurrection from the dead for a start? And what would be the basis for that resurrection if such could take place? So really, it's a very uh, doubtful question when in the apostolic age the dead were raised. They are not raised today. Why? Well, I mean, that, that's got to be the ultimate test, isn't yeah, it? Isn't that, that, yeah. that, uh, people can't raise the dead, then... Um, but, you know, let's let them off. Let's mm. let, if a person believes that, that uh, they have the spirit gifts, but they can't raise the dead, let, let's let them out of that problem, mm. because we know it could happen in the first century, but it, it's not happening now. But let's, let's go back to some of the others, maybe, if you like, lesser miracles, although right. they're still miracles. Well, gifts of healing, I guess, in terms Certainly. of complete uh, a healing of a blind person, whom we know yeah. is blind. You see, there was at least one case where faith was involved, mm. but I suggest it, it was a little different than what is, I think, being used as a cop-out today for people not mm. coming up with the goods. Yeah. The one case is where in the Mount of Transfiguration, the Lord came down. He came to the apostles, or the disciples at that time, who, who couldn't mm. heal this, this child who, who seems to have been... Uh, having a great problem of, I guess, self-control, and, and in their midst was was it was almost a terrifying experience. Yeah. And so, in that case, um, it would seem that the disciples themselves lacked faith. Not the kid; the disciples mm. lacked faith. Mm. But in Acts chapter five, here's the test I think you want to apply to people who claim to have the spirit gifts today, like they had them in the first century. It says that in verse fifteen insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets, laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks, and them which were vexed with unclean spirits. Mm. And they were healed, every one of them. Mm. Mm. There's nothing like that going on in this earth today, and if there was... There is a tremendous work to be done in every city mm. on this earth right. that's not being done. Very true, very true. So really the, the whole evidence of the Holy Spirit gifts being used in the apostolic age is not de demonstrated today. That's right. And therefore, whatever it is, uh, is, is uh, fictitious in its claim, but in some cases fraudulent in its claim, which yes. is unfortunate. 
Well, that, that brings us back, to roughly, yeah. Peter, to where we started. I think that is the, mm. the worst thing that could have happened. Mm. Because people who, in uh, growing up, looking at Christianity, what did they see paraded before their eyes? But what we can only say is something that is false, mm. knowingly false. Right. Coming to the healing, then, it is true to say that faith plays a big part in healing, isn't it? Yes. Uh, and with a lot of people, I think a lot of psychotherapy given to sick people is become very apparent that the attitude that the, the sufferer takes to the disease has a big bearing upon healing. And therefore, for a person to be healed in the sense of psychosomatically is not unusual at all by the medical science itself. That's right. Uh, so we can ex certainly explain a lot of healings which take place. And if a person believes, well, yes, I'm going to be healed by the Holy Spirit, whatever that person believes, for whatever reason, is efficacious in yes. the healing of that particular malady. Yes. So we can explain one of the sources for healing yes. in that particular way. But of course there is not the evidence of the Holy Spirit about today as it was in the Apostolic Age. That's right. Also because it had to be laid on by the Apostles' hands, wasn't it, in the Apostolic Age? The passing yes. on of that gift and, and uh, who would therefore would be available to do that if the Apostles well, that, were not there. That is another uh, mm. key thing I think in illustrating to people that the Spirit gifts was given to their children uh, yes. And that was the last generation. The generation. So it would seem mm. that the spirit gifts that came initially upon the apostles mm. uh, to give them the ability to pass it on through the laying on of hands ended when the last apostle died. Mm. So that even in Acts chapter 8, uh, they had to get mm. two of the apostles to go down so that people would receive the spirit gifts. Yes, yes. Demonstrating, therefore, the point that they were indispensable in the passing on of yes. those gifts. Yes. Yeah. So that's a very important, I think, point to make, isn't it? Yes. In terms of this question. Well, Frank, of course, we, we would see that um, the uh, apostles referred to uh, the prophecy of Joel concerning uh, the spirit gifts. But yet there is another prophecy of Joel which says there must be a very great outpouring of these gifts at the return of Christ. So when will that happen? I mean, how will that happen at Christ's return? What, what can we expect to see? Well, you know, the interesting thing is that if we, if we can get through the veneer of people mm. trying to practice these things without really genuinely have them and see what the scriptures offer as hope. Look at the Lord, for instance, as, as an example. Here's a man who uh, knew the person's mind. He, he, he could, could not possibly be misled mm. being able to read a person's mind. So he knew if a person was genuinely sick or what he was mm. putting it on. Mm. But here was the Lord who was, who was with great compassion and mercy looking out for the people who really needed help. Mm. Now, in the Kingdom Age, when the saints, those who have been raised from the dead, those who have been gathered who were living, judged and judged to be faithful, to bear his name to the world, when those people go out as immortals with the capabilities that our Lord displayed in this ministry, you can just think of what a changed world this will be. Mm. How much for the better when, when but, you know, in the same time, Peter, it, it illustrates how it would be, if, if you think of revolutions, a tremendous mm. revolution to the world, where people now have to go to school, I don't know how many years, to be a surgeon. Mm. <laughs> right. And here's someone that comes along and, and heals you with a word. <laughs> yes. It, yes. It, it illustrates how men and the scriptures really have gone down different roads. Right. And uh, I don't know that there are too many people longing yeah. for this age that, that the Bible uh, truly claims is coming. Yeah, well, of course, Joel's prophecy is very clear that this is going to be a massive outpouring. Yes. Uh, to put out of business every hospital <laughs> in the world, effectively, in terms of healing. And that'll be a wonderful thing happening. But, of course, that is not happening today. Yes. Essentially, that is the difference. Yes. Yeah. yes. But yet the work of the Holy Spirit in the apostolic age was also to create the scriptures and therefore to give to us uh, 
the gospel which we have today. So we have the fruits of the work of the Holy Spirit, yes. and that's what we should listen to today. Oh, certainly, Peter. Yes. I mean, this, this yes. is the, the, the critical aspect of mm. it. People have been hung up on this, thinking that what's most important is that you can demonstrate that you have mm. the Holy Spirit mm. by, by something coming out of your mouth mm. that no one can understand. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's just yeah. awful. <laughs> that, that it should be raised to that kind of prominence right. in, in the, uh, the Christian church. And therefore, we see that what we must have is the, the fruits of the Spirit rather than the gifts of the Spirit. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Very which, good. which is yeah. takes a lot of development. True, it does indeed. Frank, look, thanks for joining us today on our program. Unfortunately, our time has gone. Thank you for coming and joining us today. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us on this program of This Is Your Bible.
So you can see here that the friendship is something that can obviously bring wonderful strength mm. to your life and mm. happiness and comfort. Friendship can also become something which is a bit mutual, like a mutual admiration society. You scratch your, my back, I'll scratch yours, in the sense of saying, well, if you do something for me, I'll do something for you. Friendship today can become a bit of a, a convenience, can't it? Yeah, I think it really can. I How think do we address that problem? Well, I think a good friendship, again, needs to be based on, on truth and understanding and, and a love, a true love, not a superficial love mm. for the people, again, that you choose to be with, that you mm. want to count as, as your friend. Mm. Right. Any examples you can draw on of really true friendship in this regard, which is obviously a memorial record? Sure. My favorite example? Please. My favorite <laughs> example is uh, from the Old Testament. It's right. the story of David and Jonathan. No, that's my favorite too, so is please it? mention it. <laughs> okay. I, I think that uh, in, this, in the, the record, we see two individuals mm. with, uh, with pressure on them. Uh, both, in essence, are, are vying for the same job, if you will. Well, let's just fill in the background here for our viewers, Steve. Um, David was King David That's on the right. throne of Israel. He was the second famous king, the most famous of their kings, and brought Israel to its glory. Uh, and uh, David was here at this time. Now, David, before he was this King was David, before he was king, right. we had King Saul on the throne. And Jonathan was King Saul's son and heir apparent, as it would seem. And David was brought into the scene shortly after he had slain Goliath in that great monumental battle in which he slew Goliath with the stone and the sling. So now we have a, a very dangerous situation emerging, don't we, with, with uh, King Saul, who was now very jealous of David. Right. And his son Jonathan was sort of in between the two of them. So that was the background, wasn't it? That's, that's right. And you'd yeah. think that in a situation like that, someone like Jonathan might all of a sudden become jealous yeah. at the the seeming success of David, really it was the success of the Lord God. And he was also a threat to Jonathan's heir, exactly. apparently, to the throne, wasn't he? Exactly. Yeah. He exactly. would have been, or could have been seen. Could have been, it could have been, but Jonathan yeah. never viewed it that way, mm. and instead Jonathan mm. was completely selfless mm. and, and supported David and gave David love. And I think, Peter, if you were to, to look at any one example in the scripture mm. of friendship, we could find it in 1 mm. Samuel. And in 1 Samuel, we read of this very special, relationship that they had and it was a relationship that was founded on, on really the love for God and that's found in 1 Samuel chapter 23 and it says in verse 16 and Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horish and helped him find strength in God mm. strength in God Mm. You know, of all the things that they were going through, of all the pain that David was going through, he was running for his life at this point to set the stage. He was running from Jonathan's father, mm. fearing for his life. And Jonathan, the son, the heir apparent, as you mm. said, mm. came forward and helped David find comfort and find strength mm. and, and the source of strength. At God. the risk of his life, too. Yeah. Because this could have represented a considerable threat to Saul and uh, could have even been viewed as subterfuge to the throne. So it's remarkable to see that sort of friendship, isn't it? That's and right. from that friendship, we can see that the foundations of it w were really that they both loved God. They both loved God. They had that common bond that yeah. bound them right. together and, right. and gave them strength. And you know, when you try to re mm. relate these lessons, I mean, the, the Bible has recorded mm. these events for our learning so that, mm. you know, we can improve our lives. Mm. And when we try to apply these lessons to our lives, 
lives. I think we can, can really be comforted and strengthened in terms of choosing mm. the right friends to be the with. The right friends to be with. Clearly, from an example like this, we would like to find a friend that would help us when mm. we are down mm. to find strength in God. Mm. Uh, the importance of choosing our friends is, is critical. What are the dangers that you would alert young people to today in choosing friends? Well, I think Paul gives us a very good warning. He says, uh, bad company corrupts good morals. Mm. And we talk a lot about peer pressure, something that I know I experienced growing up, something that I think most young people mm. will experience in their lives. Mm. But peer pressure can be both good and bad. Mm. What Paul tells us is that bad company corrupts good morals, so mm. that there is that negative aspect to peer yeah. pressure. So there needs to be some value system attached to the basis of your selection of a friend. That's right. That's What's right. that value system? Well, the value. Well, let's let's turn up another yes. another quote if mm. we could. This time from the New Testament. Mm. Uh, let's look up Ephesians, chapter five, and Paul writes to. This, this church in Ephesus, and, and he gives some direction in this regard. And basically, Peter, I think what we're, what we're seeing here is that we are, we are judged mm. not only by what we say, but we're judged by, by how we act, mm. by the clothes we wear, by what we, what we do say, in fact. Mm. But let's listen to the apostle's words. Mm. He says, be very careful then how you live not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. You go back to verse 3, and he says, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, or of any kind of impurity, or of greed, because these are not improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Mm. So you see here, there, there is really almost like a, a laundry list of those mm. things that, that we need to avoid. And when we choose friends, and when we are to be mm. influenced by a peer group, I'm sure mm. it's not this one. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Steve, can I raise another question here, which becomes more apparent as time goes by to me. Okay. Uh, a lot of uh, young people that I deal with get mixed up in problems. Uh, maybe it's problems in drugs, problems in sex, problems in immor immorality of some kind. But often they say to us when I'll highlight that some of their friends who have been giving them a hard time are really practicing a value system far from them. And their response is often, yes, but he's quite a nice guy, but he's got these bad habits. And I, that, that concerns me. Uh, le let me tell you why, because remember Lot, of course, Lot was uh, the righteous man in Sodom and Gomorrah, which was given over to gross immorality and homosexuality. And God destroyed those cities. And it says of Lot that he vexed his righteous soul each day because of what they did. So he never got used to the immorality. He never, you know, he, he didn't see that much of it so that he said, well, this is old hat, I know all about that. I, it doesn't affect me, but I know it exists. Is that a real danger to young people today? I think it is. I think you sometimes can develop almost a callous mm. to, to these, these problems mm. and what once or what at first glance might be absolutely shocking mm. might later on become almost the norm or at least be tolerated. Right. We can almost feel indifferent to the behavior patterns. Yeah. And think it's not and that's what society teaches, mm. unfortunately. Mm.
toleration for every diverse habit. Yeah. And yet we must interpret that in the light of the Bible. We must. Mm. I mean, the Scripture has been given mm. to us as a mm. guide, mm. and we must look to it for our uh, every direction. Mm. All right. Steve, you've been talking about friendships which are of the same sex in the case of, of friends which one might select uh, like man-to-man, girl-to-girl. In the case of David and Jonathan, we have, of course, two males who are very close friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, what about the dating situation of young people today? What advice can we give them from Scripture? Well, I think, uh, again, whether you're looking at a relationship between male and female or whether you're looking at a relationship between two males or two females, first mm-hmm. and foremost, it mm-hmm. must be, uh, it, there must be that common thread. Mm-hmm. There must be a, uh, a foundation based on the scripture and based on a Mm. mutual love for the word Mm. of God. Mm. I think that's critically important. We've looked in Ephesians. I'd like to read uh, another verse from Ephesians chapter Mm. 4. Verse 29, it says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful in building others up. Only Mm. what's helpful in building others up. Edifying. Edifying, Mm. yes. So it's so critical that the friendship you have is one that can build each other's up, edify yeah. each other as Jonathan did mm. for David. Mm. And I think even more so, Peter, when you become, when you come into that relationship with mm. that with the opposite mm. sex, when, when young people begin to date, that really needs to be the foundation. Mm. Mm. True, true. And in regard to other scriptures, obviously... Um, there are many other scriptures there, Steve, which we could uh, refer to for guidance in our relationships. Uh, what other scriptures would you bring forward for us at this time? Well, I think when we discuss uh, the relationship that uh, a man might have with a woman mm. and mm. vice versa, yes. that, that right. relationship with the opposite sex, the first and foremost thing in dating is to, is to set some standards, Peter. Mm. Not standards of the world, because as we mentioned, we, we develop that callous. Mm those things that, that the scripture might tell us are, are wrong might become in, we might become indifferent to those wrong mm. things. So we need to f- form some standards based on the word of God. Mm. Where do we turn? We're in Ephesians now. Let's look there again. Uh, I think there's, there's a tremendous amount of help here for us. Verse 17 of Ephesians. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Verse 19, it says, Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with Mm. a continual lust for more. Mm. Now we're talking about this in connection with setting standards. Mm. You see, just like we can develop a callous, just as we can become indifferent to things, unless we set standards, we can very often drift beyond the line that we might think we mm. have set. Or particularly okay. that God has set. I mean, that's the key. Because it? let's face it, I mean, the moral standards, the performance of, of dating decorum today is very different from my grandmother's. Yes. And I guess we might say, well, that was a Victorian age and this is the new permissive age. Where is the yardstick? How do we measure that if, in fact, there is no guideline uh, which goes through time? And the Bible's the only possibility? The, the Bible is the only mm. possibility. Mm. We can look up in First uh, Thessalonians, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, First Thessalonians chapter 4. I'd like to read verses 2 through 5 here. It says, For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. 
It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. Mm. So here mm. we see not the standards that mm. Steve Davis set for himself growing up mm. or the standards that Peter Pickering set for himself, mm. but the standards that were set before right. us by, right. by the Word of God. And much contrary to today's philosophy, which says, if it feels good, do it. Yeah. You, know, you, you, you talk that about that. And, and the press and, and everything that our young people are experiencing mm. today is telling them just mm. that. If it feels good, do it. Mm. It's uh, everything is free. It's easy. Mm. But you know, Peter, that's not the case. Mm. It's not free. I mean, we talk about sexual immorality. It's mm. it's not free. There are definite penalties that are paid by our young people. It has whether, its consequences. Whether it be mm. uh, health-wise yeah. or financially or emotionally. I mean, these are burdens that our young people very often pay for, mm. for crossing that line. Mm. Very true, very true. So therefore, with young people, particularly where dating is concerned, with opposite sex, we must look for some guidelines from Scripture. That's right. Otherwise, we'd set our own guidelines by the people around us. The peers would tell us what we should and shouldn't do. That's right. So what else does Scripture have to say in this regard, particularly with, uh, like, sourcing a friend um, who loves the things of God and creating, maybe finding a partner in life, on the right standards. Mm -hmm. well, we I think that uh, the scripture tells us that we should not be unequally yoked. So again, mm -hmm. here is the example mm -hmm. of, of having that common yes. bond. Yes. But there are other things too. Um, mm -hmm. When we speak of dating, we speak of the temptations mm -hmm. that young people might, might go through mm -hmm. that, that seem so insurmountable at times. Mm -hmm. But we know that we're not tempted beyond what we're able to bear. One of the things that I think is important for us to remember is that we will be held accountable. Mm. That's a word that I think many people are, are mm. uneasy about, mm. whether it be in business or whether it be mm. uh, working, you know, talking to mom and dad. But we are going mm. to be held accountable. Mm. Jesus tells us that. Mm. Uh, you know, each of us will have to uh, give an account of himself to God. So the question that I ask young people when I talk with them is, why not hold yourself accountable now? Mm. And you can do that in, in many different ways. You can do that uh, by speaking with a mother or a father mm. that, you, that you can share these experiences with and say, I'm dating now. I want you to hold me accountable. And it doesn't mean, you know, mm. mom and dad has to interview the, 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 the respective partner the, or, or, the, or the young person coming home from a date. But be accountable. Turn to someone that you trust, that's, that's well-founded in, in the scriptures, mm. and, and look for guidance from that person. Mm. Because as we saw with Jonathan David, mm. a good friend can help you find strength mm. in the Lord. Indeed. That's, that's very, very true. I think the point about accountability, too, is not only our own accountability to God for what we do, but also remember that we're accountable for the relationship to the other person. Let me just cite an example of this, and I'd be interested in your comments on it. Uh, I had to counsel uh, a young man in recent times who had actually become involved with a young married woman, a woman, and uh, she had actually left her husband. The husband, had, as a result of that, had left the family, and the two children had gone to the grandparents' place. 
Now, this was a frightful situation. So Tragic. Out of his uh, game that he was playing with a married woman, he damaged the lives of four other people, apart from the immoral damage that he, he did to himself. So I think that's accountability is very, very important. I mean, it just gets back to that fallacy that, mm. that it's free, that nobody pays the price. Mm. But mm. there is a price to pay. Indeed there is, yeah. So what are our guidelines in terms of becoming accountable? Should prayer play a strong part in this? Most definitely. Mm. I think prayer in all of our lives mm. should be a very important part. Mm. It's our way in, mm. in, in seeking guidance and, and uh, strength. You know, you look at the Lord's Prayer prayer that's mm. familiar to many people. Mm. Lead me not into temptation. Mm. And you know, there's, there's an interesting point here. It doesn't yeah. say, help me overcome temptation. <laughs> Lead me not into temptation. And another passage of Scripture says, flee temptation. Yeah. <laughs> Run away. Get out of the road. <laughs> you know, and, and when we talk of, yeah. of dating, yeah. remember in the Old Testament, Joseph. Joseph was brought down mm. into Egypt, mm. and Potiphar's wife looked on him. Mm. And she approached him, and Joseph fled. Yeah. Left. I mean, he left, left his coat. I mean, he got out of there. He he fled. <laughs> that's right. So I think that's a that's an example in terms right. of, of dating. Well, very true. I mean, put ourselves in a vulnerable situation. Who's going to handle it? What we must do is try and avoid those uh, tempting, vulnerable situations. So a bit of planning, a bit of guidance, a bit of care and management of the relationship is important at the planning stage and not once you get into a problem situation. That's right. Jesus says, yeah. watch and pray mm. so that you will f not fall into temptation. Right. And right. I mean, Jesus himself said, the mm. spirit is willing, mm. but the flesh, but is, the weak. flesh is weak. Yes. yes, very true, very true. And I guess towards this end too, we have to try and control the environment that we're living in. Uh, I mean, if we date people whose environment is so different to ours, uh, those young people are going to be led into a foreign environment which will be tempting and unfamiliar to them, and most probably they'll be unable to manage it. Now, take a case, though, of where a godly young man will date a godly young woman, then it's most probable they're going to find an environment where both of them are comfortable. Right. But let's talk about that environment. What sort of environment was, must we allow for? <laughs> a clean environment, or what? <laughs> yeah. Well, let's, um, again, the scripture gives yes, us direction. And guidance. I, if we look to Paul's letter to the Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, I, this is this is one of my favorites. One of your favorites. Good. It says, <laughs> finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. Mm. So mm. how do we direct our lives? Well, well we direct our lives so that... that the input, the things that go into our mind, we're feeding our mind mm. good thoughts. With good things. Those mm. things that are noble, those yeah. things that are right, those things that are praiseworthy. Mm. Reminds me of that uh, term used in the computer industry called GIGO. <laughs> right. <laughs> garbage in, garbage out. If you put garbage in, you only get garbage out. Exactly. So really, uh, our human mind is exactly the same, isn't it? Exactly. And hence, we must feed upon the right sort of food. And I think, Peter, that's why it's mm. important that, that our young people in, in say young people, but all mm. of us mm. need to flee from temptation. Mm. Mm. Because if we're if we keep tipping our toe over flirting that line and flirting it, with yes. it, uh, mm. you know, we become numb to it. Mm. Very true. So therefore we must try and guide the the relationship through a good clean environment. Mm. And that helps us at least stabilize it in the things of God. That's right. We need we need mm. to feed our mind mm. the things that are important to think about. Okay, you, you've mentioned that some of those beautiful qualities from Philippians there. Uh, what kind of qualities 
can we highlight now for young people to consider important, like you know, honesty, um, openness, whatever? Would you like to expand on that? Well, I think that the scripture gives us, again, many different examples. The things that are young people, the things that we need to develop mm. in our lives. First and foremost, a love for the truth, a love to please God. Mm. You know, the thing that we should try to, to do in our lives is live our lives so that we can bring glory to God. Mm. I mean, that is his purpose in creating mankind, that all the earth be filled with his glory. Mm. How do we do that? Well, Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount gives us direction. Mm. He says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, mm. which is in heaven. So that's critically yeah. important. Mm -hmm. I think the, the verses that we read here in Philippians 4 talk, tell us what we should think about. Mm. The character that we need to develop is one of openness. We need, in terms of dating, we need to communicate openly with the mm. person that we're choosing to date. We need to let that person know where we stand, what we believe in. You know, so many problems uh, arise because of a lack of communication. Mm. But if, we're, if our young people, if we ourselves are able to communicate and say, this is what I believe in, I mean, to talk about dating, this is what I will do on a date, and everything else is off limits. I mean, mm. that mm. resolves so many conflicts. And that's a, that's a very important part. It's a very difficult thing mm. for young people to do. But it's an important thing. Right. And do you think it's also very important to make sure that we do keep in close contact with, with our parents when making decisions like this, for young people to talk to their parents, to have a good open communication with their parents in order to solicit a bit of extra advice, a bit of extra input? Yeah. I, th I think yeah. that's important. You know, one of my, uh, the, the American philosopher, Mark Twain, mm. he said, when I was 18, I was amazed at how foolish my parents were. Mm. But when I was 21, I was amazed at how much they had learned in the last three <laughs> years. Last three years. <laughs> you know, and, and I think yeah. that tells a story. It, it talks yes. about uh, something that young people need to overcome. Mm. See, the parents have been there. Mm. Mm. And growing up, we have a desire to become independent, and mm. we want to uh, mm. do our own thing. And as a result, many times mm. we sort of think, well, Mom and Dad lived so many year, years ago, and they don't know what's going on. But in reality, they mm. do, and they can provide yeah. some wonderful guidelines and help, right. comfort, a shoulder to lean on. Yes. But while social customs are up to, for change, human nature is not. It always responds in the same way. And therefore, we have to treat human nature with the same sort of care that other things have to be treated. Allow for the problems. Manage the problems. Try and make sure that we create the environments which tend to evince the best human behavior and not the worst. Mm. So that if we can keep that godly environment and the godly relationships, then it adds for good, permanent friendships, which will go on for a long while. Yeah, I'd like to read another verse from Paul's letters. This one, uh, his letter to the Colossians. Good. And in Colossians chapter 3, he says in verse 2, he says, Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2 now, set your minds on things above not on earthly things. Go down to verse 5. He says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And so mm. it gives us the example. We've got to put mm. those things aside, and we've got to focus on pleasing God and glorifying God and letting our light shine that others might see our good works and glorify God. Right, right. And in effect, too, doesn't Scripture not only say 
you know, the two should be equally yoked together. But he also reminds us of what fellowship hath light with darkness. Yes. And therefore, if we have a godly young person who's seeking to a friendship with someone who, that does not aspire to the same godly principles, there's bound to be problems. Bad company corrupts good morals. Yes, yes. yes. So it's, it's a very sober lesson for us. That's it? right. Mm. Steve, just in conclusion, what, what sort of um, guidelines could you therefore give to young people today uh, who do have a godly life as the principal summary of finding good friends? Base it on the foundation of truth, right. the foundation of Scripture. Make it a, an important part of your relationship. Mm. Work together to uh, develop relationships that are, are encouraging and edifying and uh, have fun. Have fun. Well, that's important. I mean, it really is important. It's There's a, a lot of thing. good fun to be had in a godly environment. That's right. And I think we need to take that mysticism away. It doesn't mean religious people are sort of cold, sober-sided people who don't enjoy themselves. Exactly. Obviously, there's a lot of wonderful things in God's world that we enjoy. It's exciting. It's, it it really is fun. Yeah. 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 Steve, thanks ever so much for your help today. Appreciate it. It was fun. That. Yeah. And thank you also, viewers, for joining us on this program. You may have some questions yourself for your own young people. Maybe you have a question on dating, a question on relationships. We'd be delighted to hear from you if you have any questions of this nature. Just contact the number that comes on at the end of this program and we'll respond to you immediately. In the meantime, thank you for joining us on this program and we look forward to seeing you again on this series of Life in Terms of the Bible. This is your Bible. Come and get to know it. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.